0: Thank you for listening to Pastoring on Purpose.
1: Welcome to Pastoring on Purpose. My name is Dr. Tim Manis. It's an honor to be here with you, and it's as always, good to have my colleagues here with me. Raymond is to my left. Raymond, say hello to everybody that may be listening right now.
2: Hello to everybody that may be listening right now.
1: Very good. Now you recognize Raymond's voice. Short and to the point. Jeff to my right. Jeff,
3: please say hello to everybody. I just want the audience to know that I'm actually not on his right. He's just making that up, and it's good to be with you again. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wait a second.
1: Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Anyways, it is an honor to have you here with us, and it's really an honor to have Dr. Heidi Johnson with us today. Heidi is an ordained minister with the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians and is currently serving in the Presbytery of the South. Heidi has pastored churches in Texas, Illinois, and the wonderful state of Tennessee here. Uh, Heidi has a doctorate in homiletics and, and liturgics from Aquinas Institute of Theology at St. Louis University in Missouri, and has served the University in the School of Religion and in the Campus Ministries Department since 2012. Heidi is married, blessed with two children, and has here a very naughty Australian Shepherd. Very naughty. Let's let's, let's start with that for just a moment, okay? What what makes the—first of all, we're dog lovers here. I know Raymond has a dog. Yes. Uh, you have a dog? I have two. You have two dogs? I have two dogs. Uh, What makes the Australian Shepherd a naughty? Uh, I'm sure it's one that you love. but
4: She is very smart, and she knows that the trash can is off limits. Mm -hmm. I say no, no, every day. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. I turn my back. She's in it.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that is a, uh, it sounds like my dog, actually. So
4: your dog is very naughty. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. I always joke about it. One dog I really love, the other one, ah, I have to really work towards. And so, but nonetheless, it's so good to have you with us uh, today. Thank right. you. So Heidi, uh, give us a little bit about, you know, what, what you teach at, at Lee and, and a little bit about a background uh, of yourself uh, in regards to Lee University.
4: Okay. Well, we came here in 2010 because my husband received a position, a tenure-track position um, in the humanities department, and I was serving a church here in Cleveland during that time. Um, In 2012, I left serving that church to come and serve in campus ministry. My primary role and responsibility is the liturgical chapel um, that happens once a month with students, which is a great joy. I received a doctorate in homiletics because I love preaching, and I love liturgy, always have, and I have a forthcoming book that's coming out next oh, wow. year with Within Stock, the publishers, uh, regarding preaching as suicide prevention, mm. so I'm kind of excited about that.
1: Absolutely, and that is one, let me know whenever that is released, uh, really excited about that, so that's one I want to pick up, no doubt about it. Um, we'll be sure to to, to to continue listening to this because we're going to be talking about theodicy today. And more specifically, to kind of give you an, an update on what that's going to look like, what is theodicy? What does that look like? So we're going to define it. And why is it important for us to grasp in light of the pandemic? And how can we continue to, to develop our understanding of theodicy and suffering in light of our faith in this community as we go through this pandemic? So you do not want to miss this. We'll be right back to
0: discuss all of that right after this break. You've been listening to Pastoring on Purpose, a podcast of the Center for Ministerial Care. Twice a month, we talk with pastors, church staff, and mental health professionals about what it's really like to lead and serve a congregation. From pastoral burnout to boundaries, the pressing issues of leadership to the pertinent little details that help a body progress, we're here to help you be a healthier leader, pastor, and person.
1: Welcome back, and uh, let's just dive right into this uh, with Heidi Johnson here. Uh, If you don't mind, I know theodicy is a word uh, that we don't typically use. I know we don't typically use it within our movement. Uh, Heidi, can you define what theodicy is Mm -hmm. for us?
4: Traditionally, the word theodicy literally means to justify God, for me to defend him, for me to justify his actions, in light of his character in regards to what's happening in the world. So um, his character is good and it's all-powerful, but evil exists. Mm. So typically people will call the theodicy, in layman's terms, the problem of evil. The problem of evil is that evil exists, but there is a good God who is all-powerful. Can those two sentences, um, those two claims, be compatible with one another? And that is the Odyssey.
1: That's the question I ask. Can we um, connect that? Can they live together with the suffering that we have today? And many of our people are suffering uh, through this pandemic. We're trying, a lot of people are asking for questions. I mean, they, they have a lot of questions, I should say. Is there a way to, to have an understanding as to why is this happening? Why And why is it important for us to understand what the Odyssey is and to have our own I'm actually giving you about three questions here, by the <laughs> way. So let me just start off with the first one, right? How, how can we connect this together? Is it possible to be able to do that?
4: Mm-hmm. How do we hold God's character as good and powerful with the same understanding that evil is real and it exists and there's suffering in the world? And uh, some people throughout history have attacked the character of God or maybe not attacked it, but tried to defend God's character by saying, well, actually, God is not all-powerful Um, He is more of a deist character. He steps back from the world and allows free will to be in control. And if he intervened, then he would be taking away our power, which would um, defeat the purpose of what it means to be free, to have free will. Some people would say, actually, uh, they would attack the word evil that that part is, that's what's wrong, is that no, evil doesn't actually exist. Some people would say, they would say, well, God is good and all-powerful. God has created all things good, mm-hmm. and evil is therefore not a thing because it is not good, and it wasn't created by God. And uh, so some people would justify God by that. So it's kind of like that, that argument, if you think of like a T-shirt, like mm-hmm. a brand new T-shirt, and the T-shirt is good, But it turns away from that which is good, and it rips. And now we have a hole in the t-shirt. The hole is the absence of good. It's not that something exists there. It's a hole. It's the absence of good. And people would say, well, so evil, therefore, doesn't exist. It's a rip. It's a tear. It's a hole. This justifies that all things that God created were good. And now we have a rip, a tear, a hole in the universe that God never intended, wasn't created. So how do we deal with that? Some people will say, well, that rip, that hole, that absence of good, uh, evil doesn't exist, but we feel the absence of good, and we call that suffering. Mm -hmm. So you move from there and say, well, is suffering bad? Is suffering evil? And I think according to the scriptures, we can see That suffering is neutral. It is neither good, it is neither bad. It all depends on perspective. Everyone suffers. It is a universal, but uh, it depends on how we approach it, whether it is actually good. Piano lessons for me was a form of suffering (laughs) as a small child. Now, if I had worked hard at piano and suffered through, I might be a wonderful pianist. Anyone who runs a marathon knows they must suffer to reach that goal. Um, And those who suffer with a loss of a loved one or cancer, they can see glimpses of good even in the midst of those sufferings. And as Christians, we confess that it is through suffering that we gain restoration through Jesus' death on the cross. Mm. Paul calls us to suffer with our Lord and to move towards those who are suffering. Suffering is actually a calling for Christians.
1: So as, as we talk about this and look at this in light of the pandemic, um, we see a lot of suffering and we see, well, and that suffering comes in a lot of different ways, whether it be through COVID, financial loss, uh, family members. Uh, a lot of times we have suffering because it, it has also caused a divide with a lot of families as well. I like how you put that because we learn throughout Scripture. I think Romans 8 talks about the groaning with creation and going through that process. Jesus suffered. The disciples just suffered. How do we we approach this subject and have a healthier view of our own theodicy? And, And why is it important for us as ministers to have a healthy understanding of what suffering is and how we approach it?
4: Well, I think all those who have been called into ministry should be saturated with the scriptures, should always be within them. And when we are in them, we build habits in our life of being able to look around the world and to recognize, to see God's fingerprint, to say, oh, God is moving. God is doing something. Mm -hmm. As you read the scriptures, you recognize that sometimes God actually causes suffering, Hebrews tells us that he disciplines those who love. He loves, and discipline is painful, the, the text continues to say. Sometimes we can't tell, is this discipline from our Lord, or is this a consequence of my own sin? We keep searching the scriptures. God is the one who sent the plagues down upon Egypt. He is the one that sent the evil spirit upon Saul. God is active and moving always for a good purpose. And this purpose of suffering, right, it mm-hmm. produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope, and hope will not disappoint us. So suffering has a purpose in, in, in those who recognize that suffering has a purpose in ministry um, that it's like weightlifting. You mm-hmm. cannot build your muscles without resistance, Against those muscles, and this is what suffering does for us. You cannot teach a student resilience. I cannot say to my children and give them stories and analogies and tell them, "Well, when I was your age, it doesn't work." You actually have to experience suffering to become resilient. It's something we can't teach.
3: I think I think it's important to point out, or at least I'm thinking about this. I'll put it this way. How challenging that is to, to to accept what you're saying there in as a member of a privileged society where discomfort, any discomfort, it, it often, it, it, it's tempting to mislabel it as suffering. And I'm just talking about any discomfort because we're so comfortable, so privileged. Also in society right now, and including our churches, uh, it seems like we are... Uh, encouraging this comfort, all right? And if there if, if there's a lack of comfort or discomfort, therefore we're doing something wrong. We're not in the will of God, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I know that that, that sounds like a convoluted question, so I apologize. So go, but going back to the, how, how does one, how, how do we explain this to either a client, uh, to a member of the church who's come to us, uh, or to our colleagues? Uh, how do you explain the difference between suffering and discomfort and in this context.
4: Yeah, it's really hard for someone who's outside of the situation to label what that person is going through. You know, I have heard people say that suffering has levels. Those in Auschwitz, the Holocaust, they suffered more than someone in the 21st century in America who just lost their job. And I think... For me, this is um, a terrible mistake to do. I don't think there is levels of suffering because suffering is so, so deeply personal. We all suffer and the drippy faucet may not bother me, but it bothers my husband and he can't sleep at night, you know, and I'm like, get over yourself. It's just a drippy faucet. So for what you suffer what your discomfort is causing your anxiety and it may not be my issues it isn't kind for me to say just get over it it's just a little discomfort because you may be experiencing it much deeper it may be connecting to trauma in your you know your childhood so I, as a kindness i have to say this person is suffering in a way that i don't understand But if I listen, I will learn from them. They will teach me um, about a different aspect of suffering looks like. And as I listen, I learn uh, to be more loving in that place of whatever that suffering may be. So yes, I hear people say, oh, these kids, they've got it so good. They're not in Haiti. They're not in Romania. They've got it great. But I've just recognized that everyone suffers, and it's not kind to dismiss it. Mm -hmm. I
3: I think that's good, and it's a good reminder because that might be the tendency if you are trying to help someone is to quickly judge or at least label Mm -hmm. uh, and assume that you understand their perspective. So I think that's a good way of framing it.
4: Yeah, I mean, Isaiah tells us, that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Higher than the heavens, right? He is beyond us. And sometimes we just have to submit to humility and recognize I don't understand everything. So I just need to be quiet and listen.
1: And, and suffering is a, it's a, it's a personal experience, Deeply. right? And we have to allow space for that. Mm-hmm. But We also have to understand also it's also a communal experience as well, isn't it?
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: You know, and so um, being able to and the Bible talks about you know with those that are rejoicing we rejoice with those who are hurting and in pain we mm-hmm. we suffer with them, mm-hmm. and that's tough. and And I think in light of you know our social media, everything that's taking place, it's it's everything has become so um, divisive in a lot of ways and polarizing that I just need to be here. I, I just need to shut my mouth and listen. Mm-hmm. I, I think that. And and maybe you can help enlighten me with this, but I feel like sometimes, at least in our context in America, there's a certain sense where we have to feel like we have to fix it or control it when it's beyond our control.
4: Yeah, there's this wonderful prayer. It's the only prayer of Moses in our Psalms, Psalm 90. And he is praying, Oh, Lord, um, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, before the world was formed, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And then he says... You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O mortals, for a thousand years in your sight. is but a day that's just gone by. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. And he's praying this psalm, and I imagine he's just been told, You can't go into the promised land. You are going to die. But as you go throughout this psalm, you notice it is a communal prayer. It's not just a prayer from Moses. He says, Oh Lord, you have been our dwelling, our tabernacle for everlasting to everlasting. And, and in this place of God, he sweeps us away in the sleep of death. And yet the psalmist is like, "But I will trust you. Mm. You are sovereign and you are good. Whatever happens, it will, I, if I trust you, you're good. And this is the thing that it's really, I, I asked a student the other day if God chose when they were to be born. Did God choose your birthday? And immediately, you know, Jeremiah, yeah, God chose when I was going to be born. And I said, well, well, does God choose your death and when you die? And then, whoa, I'm not sure about that. But for me personally, it's been a great comfort to think that God not only has planned my birth, but God will plan my death. Mm -hmm. And both my life and my death and all the sorrow and troubles and joys and celebrations in between are in his hands. To me, that's a great comfort.
1: Jeff, is there anything that you would like to add in regards to what Heidi has been saying?
3: Yeah, what you were just saying a moment ago uh, about you personally wanting to take some time uh, and think about your own view of suffering or and your theodicy. I'd like to ask Heidi, what do you recommend? All right, do, do you recommend that we do spend some deliberate time thinking? What is it? What is my perspective on this? And Uh, How would if you do? How how would should one go about doing that uh, self evaluation? All right. What is it I believe about suffering? What is it I believe? How does this impact my theology, et cetera, et cetera?
4: Yeah, it's always very important to be reflective, and in theology we call that a hermeneutic of suspicion—not a suspicion of other people's interpretations, but a suspicion of our own—a hermeneutic of suspicion. Um, And I, my advice is to. You know, be humble. And if someone says something that you don't quite agree with, before you speak, listen and, you know, be in the scriptures and pray about these issues um, and wrestle with God. Um, I think it's very important to do this because God has called us to be ready to give a hope in and out of season. Uh, to you know, defend, to, to give a word to uh, our belief in Jesus Christ. And um, the world is ready to pounce. And if you're not prepared to give the reasons for the hope that you have, then you can feel defeated. So yes, I would say to parents, allow your children to be questioning defenders, to defend the faith, but to always be humble enough to question it and to question their own understanding, too, to be questioning defenders. I think that is a good place to start.
2: Like you stated about playing the piano or an instrument, there is some payoff at the end of suffering. If not, then maybe there is something something that's revealed. Um, There was a path that you were on that you didn't see in the midst of the suffering, but you were being prepared for something or gaining some experience with some other things that you would not have otherwise gotten. Uh, I guess my question is, given you know, where we are right now with the COVID and all of the bad suffering that seems to be out there, uh, what would you say to pastors out there when you know, they're doing a funeral or they can't even do a funeral? Is there any sort of silver lining that you can offer or point to or indicate in your expertise about the suffering?
4: Sure. So in the Presbyterian tradition, when we do a funeral, we don't call it a funeral. We call it giving a witness to the resurrection. And we focus on um, the hope that we have, the future hope that we have with the new heaven and the new earth, with our new bodies, Um, that Christ revealed to us when he was resurrected. Yes, he had his wounds. He had his scars. Um, And yet he ascended to heaven and he didn't throw his body behind a bush saying, I don't need this body anymore. He is is in human flesh standing at the helm of creation right now. And he is going to come back again and restore all of creation. You know, our animals, our, our air, our rivers, our land. And this is where our hope needs to be. This was what the Hope was for the Thessalonians and the Galatians and those who were suffering under Nero, for our early church fathers. The hope is that Christ will redeem. He will redeem. We have seen this through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so my advice to the pastors, uh, sitting with those who are suffering, is to turn our eyes towards Jesus, the resurrected Christ, who was, who is, and who always will be.
3: So so Heidi, uh, our listeners may not know this, but uh, once a month leads a chapel service. And at Lee now, we now have three types of chapel services that we offer to our students. The one that she leads is what's typically called, I'll put this in quotation marks, a liturgical service, uh, which is unique for some of our students, especially those uh, from the Pentecostal tradition. are not always exposed to that in their local churches. And uh, it's a beautiful worship service. So Heidi, would you tell us a little bit more about uh, the service that you provide?
4: So liturgy literally means the work of the people. Prayer is hard work. Um, Taking care of the children in the nursery, that can be hard work. Mm. Uh, Serving, offering, making the bread, cleaning the church, all of this is liturgy. Every church, every church is liturgical. Um, And the thing that's different with the way we worship in liturgical chapel versus the Khan Chapel, is just that it's more structured, that's all. But we're both doing work, both of us. So it's kind of a misnomer to call it a liturgical chapel, but I understand. Uh, You know, God loves diversity. He didn't make one kind of tree, especially here in Tennessee. (laughs) You know, he didn't make one kind of apple. He loves diversity within unity. And those students over in the Kahn Chapel or in the Dixon Chapel or in the liturgical chapel, we are unified by worshiping the same Father. We're just doing it in a, in, in a different way. Um, the liturgical chapel has organ music, and we're singing traditional hymns. We're in Kahn Chapel. They have a full-on band. Um, I think this gives glory to God, this type of diversity. And I am so thankful for the church of god for Dr. Khan for Dr. Walker for giving me an opportunity to provide a more structured service with traditional elements it's great fun and and many students will come and they'll say yeah I just came out of curiosity just want to see what it was like and that's cool because the world is vast and our Christian brothers and sisters in Russia worship differently than we worship in Tennessee or in Kenya or wherever, and it just gives them an opportunity to taste and see the goodness of God in a different in a different way.
3: It's it's a good um, alternative, you know. Right. When you you, you just uh, to, to help you focus, I'm speaking personally now. Uh, really, it's just it is refreshing. That's what I find it. I think it's important to have a change of pace, too, right? If we get stuck
1: in a rut, we just kind of get in that routine of just the same. Sometimes we need that change, something else new to help us.
2: I read some research. um, It's probably been a decade ago now, so it's not recent. But there was research about, you know, for a while there had been a trend for younger people to go to these churches with small groups and, Sipping their coffee on the pews and not having pews and all this, and there was they were seeing a big move back um, more to, you know, your your term here, the liturgical churches, and uh, what they found was that people, younger people, wanted more structure. That the less structure they got, the more hungry they became for more. It was like there was a balance that was needing to happen and people were gravitating back more to uh, liturgical or traditional structures for things like their, their faith, and I think it's great.
1: Is there anything else that we can do as ministers, leaders, especially during this pandemic and afterwards? Uh, whenever we finally do get there, life has changed uh, because of it. Is there anything we can do to help our understanding of theodicy and help us be able to serve better outside of what you've already shared with us?
4: Yeah, probably pray for the gift of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, those fruits: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, wow. generosity, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You cannot have those fruits without the Spirit. And I would definitely say, pray, pray. When you pray for people, pray that God gives them those fruits, and pray for the fruits in your own life, and. It will transform your family, transform your church, um, because God is in the work of transformation. Amen.
1: Amen. Dr. Heidi Johnson, thank you so much thank for you. being with us today. And uh, what's the name of the book that you have coming out soon?
4: Well, I'm working with my editor on figuring out the title, but I think the title is going to be A Guide for preachers about suicide or um, a preaching guide for suicide or something like wow. that. But I wanted it preaching as suicide prevention, and they were like, I don't know, but I'm still working <laughs> with my editors. We'll see when it comes out next year.
1: Let us know. Okay, we'll We certainly want to purchase that, and I want that in my library, and I want to advertise it as well. And welcome to our mailbag section. One of the, the, the questions that we have in our mailbag that we're going to draw out today is, who can use the services at the Center for Ministerial Care, and what does one have to be able to do in order to use that service? What's the process of if I needed to use Center for Ministerial Care, what would I need to be able to do that?
2: Uh, in order to use ministerial care, uh, and you're highly encouraged to do that, if you feel like it would be of some benefit to you or your family, uh, give us a call. Uh, now, we, we are here to serve Ministers and their families, Church of God ministers, their families. Uh, for too long, I think ministerial care became pigeonholed into just a place for the fallen, uh, people yeah. who were in need of restoration. And uh, and that's really cutting out way too many people that have a valuable impact in a lot of people's lives. Uh, what our goal is and what I personally tell Every person that I work with, look, I'm not here to be another hoop that you jump through. I'm not here to be another guy from the headquarters that you have to be in touch with or report to. I'm here to be a partner with you to help you achieve your goal of returning to the life that you're called to have Mm. and the ministry that you're called to have because there are people who are dependent on that uh, to be a part of the kingdom. And that's what we do here. If there is anything that we can do to help ministers and their families to do that, to pursue that ministry that they're given, uh, then that's what we are here to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And we do that through counseling. Uh, we do that through a lot of other avenues. And you may not even call us and listen to our podcast. You can go to our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com backslash C-O-G-C-M-C. We're on Twitter. We have a website. Uh, we have a YouTube page, and so these are all resources that we're trying to put out there to be able to help you. Our goal is to help you finish the calling that God has placed upon you in your life, and we're here to serve. And as Ms. Heidi has uh, accurately said, we're going to listen, and you don't have to suffer alone. And uh, we just, yeah, it, it, it's, just, it's, an, it's, it's exciting to be able to serve our families, our ministers, our kids the way that we do, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and that's care. I mean, if we are caring in a manner that allows other people to be equipped with that care and spread that care. Yep. That's, that's a ministry. That's what we do. That's our mission.
1: Yep. Well, thank you for this episode of pastoring on purpose and uh, be sure to join us. Be sure to follow our podcast. Be sure to check us out on and thank you once again to Heidi Johnson for being with us. It, it, this has been so enlightening. Uh, I've never, I, I can honestly say this, I've never enjoyed talking about suffering as much as I have in this <laughs> last uh, last hour. Thank you for being with us so much. Thank you. And, and hopefully your German Shepherd will learn to stay out of the trash. It's not um, a German Shepherd.
4: It's an Aussie.
1: Aussie, there you go. There, yeah, my bad, my bad. <laughs> Thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Pastoring on Purpose.
0: Pastoring on Purpose is a production of the Center for Ministerial Care, a ministry of the Church of God. Ministerial Care provides counseling services for Church of God ministers and offers those resources to our leaders free of charge. If you're a pastor in the Church of God who would benefit from a fresh, healthy perspective on life, leading, or following the Lord's call, or know someone who is, please visit www.centerforministerialcare.com. Join us next time as we continue our purposeful progress to becoming better pastors and people.